Shut up and sit down. Hey, this is Julie. I think Kira is elsewhere. So I am just, I'm not even on the chat room yet, but she's on the way. So I think she put me on while she's sorting out whatever's going on. So I will, let me get the chat room loaded first so that I can make sure that I'm talking to actual people. I talk to myself all the time, so I guess I could just do that. It wouldn't be anything out of the out of the ordinary. Hi, everybody. Okay. Um, so while we are waiting for Kira, I will tell you guys my horror story of the day. Fortunately, it was it was um, mostly private. Um, uh, I I was at I was at the doctor's office today. And I was, I went in and needed to go to the bathroom before I left. I had to wait for Uber. And I decided to pop into the restroom. And there was this puddle of water around, actually both toilets in the bathroom. And I just decided I didn't want to take the chance of there being um, my pants getting in the water. And since there was plenty of room in one of the stalls, I just took my pants off and I hung it on the hook and I went to the bathroom and then I stepped out of the stall and washed my hands, and I suddenly had this moment of going, didn't I used to have pants on? <laughs> and I barely made it back into the stall before someone came into the bathroom. So there was me in there in no pants. I had a pantsless moment. It was, it was not good. It was very embarrassing. But can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Okay. I, um, it's not good over here. The USB that I had my plug, my my headset plugged into died. And I could not figure out what the fuck was wrong. It was really, really annoying. Wow, what a time to I know, right? have your USB port cut out. And that's not an easy thing to, um, yeah, so while you were trying to fix that, I was telling people about my pantsless moment this afternoon. I do not have oh. a no-pants dance, but if I did have a no-pants dance, I would be dancing it right now because why would I wear pants for this? <laughs> we're not seeing your butt, so you don't have to wear pants That's for this. That's right. Um, 
I don't have the damn chat room up. I'm just like, it, it, it really messed me up. I was like, what? I, I had a moment where I could, I was paralyzed for like a second. I was like, I don't even know what to do with myself. It was ridiculous. <laughs> so let me, let me get my shit squared, squared away here. Um, it's just, I was, normally I don't get flustered like that where I can't do anything, but it was just like, I was just totally, so I don't know how much dead air there was, but I'll cut it out when I um, edit the podcast. I know I hit some music, so there wouldn't be dead air, but I still have no idea how much dead air there ended up being. Sorry. Um, I would guess about 45 seconds. Uh, I'll edit that but, out. For those of you who are on the podcast, you'll never know that happened unless you listen to this part where, you know, obviously I'm talking about the dead air that is no longer in the front or of the work. podcast. Or where I came on and said, Kira's having technical difficulties, so I'm going to tell you about how I wound up bare ass in a public bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> you see, you see, this is this is the moment when um, um, I would be in a little bit more trouble than you because I don't often wear underwear unless I had no choice. Um, yes, yes, you would have been in more trouble than me. <laughs> I have a friend once who was at the airport and uh, no, pardon me. He was at the convention center and um, on a business trip, we knew each other through work. Uh, and um, he, he was like, I guess, I don't know. He needed to change or something before he went to the airport. I don't remember what the deal was, why he was in the bathroom stripping, but he had failed to notice until he heard the clack, clack, clack of high heels that he had gone into the wrong bathroom. <laughs> so, <laughs> So he's in a stall in his underwear, <laughs> clack, 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 clack. He's <laughs> like, I'm going to get arrested. <laughs> you hope that's all that happens. You get arrested, you get beat down, you know. Yeah, this was in Texas, too. <laughs> yeah, he got his ass up. I don't even, I don't even know. I'm, I'm all a flutter now. Um, so tonight we're going to talk about um, character archetypes and um, uh, talking about, and I talked about it, I hit on it briefly a couple of weeks ago about how, you know, um, certain characters tend to be uh, certain characteristics over and over again because they're entertaining. Uh, you know, House to McKay, um, the current modern rendition of Sherlock in in Sherlock is um has an aggressive bad attitude, you know, and that's something that's kind of it cycles through. People find that very amusing. Uh Sheldon on um, the Big Bang Theory is very abrasive. Uh and so these kinds of characteristics tend to cycle and that's an archetype. Am I saying that right? Also, my sound is a little funky. Do you have your fan on? Archetype. I was muted, so I was muted until I said archetype. So um, I do have my fan on, but at the point at which you asked, you weren't getting anything from me. I have no idea then. Just me. Just me. Going to be one of those nights. There are character tropes and also character archetypes. Archetypes. So 
if the way and I think we see character tropes more in um, fandom to a degree than you see in um, fiction. Although sometimes with stock characters, you will see character tropes evolve within an archetype, like um, like the waitress, you know, the, the the background waitress, the small country, the, you know, the diner waitress who has you know the beehive hairdo and pops her gum. That's kind of more of a trope of the waitress archetype than um, an archetype itself. So, but in, in fandom, we definitely see character tropes emerge. Uh, where a specific a character is is portrayed a certain way, um, and tropes tropes are nothing wrong with a trope. Some people really rail against tropes, but the tropes are kind of let the audience know what to expect. It's about the audience understands. You know, when you have a a trope, um, it's a it's a convention where where the the audience can can rely. Um, on some level, has some level of expectation about what they're getting. So, it tropes cut through a lot of um, they cut through a lot because the, the the reader has expectation. Now, the funny thing is, sometimes you can really defy a trope, like you set the reader up with a trope and then you um, kind of turn it on its ear. And we've done some trope drifts where you turn a trope on its ear and you can do that with character tropes too, where it's like you get the audience thinking it's going to go one way and then you give them a good surprise with it going a different way or a bad surprise. I suppose I've been bad surprised. (laughs) I've been bad surprised. The question tonight, it comes from, (laughs) let me see if I remember how to do this. So Eva from speedy. No, sweetie. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, so remember, remember we said we were going to remember Aruba. Okay. Um, could you explain the difference, the difference between Gandalf and Dumbledore? A friend doesn't know. A friend doesn't understand why I love the former but hate the latter, and since they are almost exactly the same, and none of my arguments i.e. that Dumbledore is a manipulative bastard who groomed Harry to sacrifice himself, are helping her get it. Um, What I would say, fundamental difference between Gandalf and Dumbledore is regret. Gandalf sees a vision because of his placement in Middle Earth as a wizard. He he understands the ramifications of his of his actions and he sees the long reaching consequences of not acting and he has to make sure these events come down. But he regrets and he grieves and he loves and Dumbledore does none of those things. There's a scene um, that I think it's highlighted very, very nicely in the movie in the, in the Fellowship, when all of these powers that be are arguing over what's going to happen to the ring and who's going to take the ring to be destroyed, and Frodo says, "I'll take it," and it cuts through the meeting like a knife, and the camera pans to Gandalf's face, and the actor does this amazing. This, this grief and this acceptance and love all over his face you, that 
this is going to happen and I can't stop it, but I already regret everything that's coming. And Dumbledore guided Harry down the path to suicide without a single moment of regret. And for me, that's the difference between them. I agree. Yeah. There's also, I mean, in terms of the, I think it's also a function of purpose. Um, if you look at what their purpose was in there as a character, it's dramatically different. And, and I agree with you about regret because Dumbledore's actions were, were built around regret. Um, he made a mistake that he felt like he had to make up for. But his, 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 that's not the path in life that he set himself on originally. It was his original path in life is, is um, um, his original path in life was something dramatically different, something a lot darker. Um, and his regret, um, because of his regret, he felt like he had to um, kind of go contrary to his original goals, but it's not clear that he ever stopped believing those goals, you know? Yeah. It's a beautiful moment, and Ian does this amazing job of of just encompassing everything that's here. Um, and, and if you know the history of Gandalf, you know that he didn't want to come to Arda, um, he didn't want to be on Middle Earth. Um, he was afraid of Sauron, um, and um, let, letting go of that fear is was part of his ascension into in the um, into Gandalf the White. Um, in that moment, when you to- see him, go ahead. Wasn't wasn't he told that because he was afraid, it was why he should go? Yes, yes, but. It's really interesting in the Fellowship, if you know the history of the Balrog, you'll know the Balrog is also a fallen Maya. Maya? It's a fallen wizard, just like Sauron. Um, And the Balrog in Moria is a kind of a foil for Sauron. And Gandalf turns, and he faces this, this. And it's not you learn in that moment, I think I learned in that moment, is that he didn't fear Sauron. He feared um, he feared taking that path, falling into Sauron's predicament, or the Balrogs from the um, um, predicament. Uh, and when he turned and faced it, this this nightmare, and says, you know no more this is this is the end this is this is where you stop and this is not going to happen and he falls with the balrog it's it's very it's very visually um reminiscent of what's actually happening because gandalf does fall and when he rises he's the white he was tested and that's you know that's just it's fundamentally the um the difference between them. 
Yeah. And they have, they just, they have such a different purpose in their respective canons that the reason, I think the reason why people confuse them actually is the archetype issue. Um, If people look at them as being the same archetype, even though I don't actually think they are, um, because a character, characters rarely fall cleanly into one, unless you're talking about like the, what is it, what is it called? There's like, like eight literary archetypes, which is the main characters you need to build a story. Like you've got the protagonist, the antagonist, you've got, you know, the sidekick, you've got the comic really, you know, so there's all these, you know, the main, there's all these main the archetypes, but you set that as, yeah, the villain, you set that as, you set those aside, you, you stop looking at the macro categories. When you look at archetypes, you've got like, you know, the girl next door is an archetype, but I think people confuse um, Gandalf and, and Dumbledore because they both, um, fit two archetypes that are very high-level archetypes, which is wise old man, on the surface at least, wise old man and the magician. And um, but when you when you when you dig a little deeper into what those characters characters represent, um, Dumbledore's the politician, and Gandalf's purpose was to be a warrior. He was there to to protect Middle Earth. He was a guardian and a warrior. Um so when you dig beneath the veneer of what they look like and you look at the uh, uh and you at, and their skill. So you're seeing sk- the skill, which is their wizardry, and you're looking at what they look like, which is the wise old man thing, and you dig into their purpose, um they have you, they almost cannot be confused, and I think people get very stuck in that wise old man magician thing uh, because it's very difficult. I just don't think I don't think you can confuse the politician with the protector, and it's those those archetypes are nothing alike, really, um, or the warrior. But depending on how you look at Gandalf, because he was sent to protect Middle Earth to to help I mean to help you know prevent Sauron's rise, so. Um, but it, it was emphasized that he's also a warrior. So um, I think one of the reasons why people perceive similarity is because he could be manipulative too. Gandalf could be manipulative, just like Dumbledore could be manipulative. But Dumbledore was manipulative in his um, pers- his his defined perception of the of the greater good, how he defined it, whereas. Um, I think Gandalf could be manipulative, not so much to, to deliberately manipulate people, but because he, the scope of his his task was laid out for him um, by by basically by a higher power. I mean, he was sent to Middle Earth with a purpose and told to do this, and so he has to keep that overall mission in mind whenever he's doing anything. And he probably has sometimes, I mean, his, his, his goal was much more clear cut, um, prevent the enslavement of um, the races of Middle Earth. So um, I do think that there's a, quite a difference in their purpose and that it, 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 people are confused about the difference between them because um, – they they basically look alike. They both fit a visual archetype, which is you know the wise old man thing. And then there's also the magician thing. But if you read up about the magician as an archetype itself, 
Um, there's one called the Shadow Magician and one called the Enlightened Magi- Magician, and you could almost argue that one's an example of the Shadow Magician and one's an example of the Enlightened Magician. But that's a whole other complicated thing. Well, Boo makes there's a point. Um, Dump- Gandalf, Gandalf t- stayed with the fight. Dumbledore got other people to fight the fight for him, except for um, at a couple of key moments. There's a... The thing is, is that you look at the the author intent of of of, of the character of Dumbledore versus the adult perspective. That when you look at his actions as a whole, you think, "Holy shit, what a asshole!" Oh my god, um, and it's like it's it's really difficult. Yeah, I see him as anything but. I agree. I think J.K. Rowling intended him to be the mentor, the grandfather, to fit in kind of a hodgepodge of mentor, um, grandfather kind of role. From, but that's 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 a child's view of him. Um. It's not an object. I don't feel like it's an objective view of that character. Like you said, an adult view of that character. You can't yeah, say that Gandalf's motivations weren't personal. Um, that he didn't seek to put Bilbo in harm's way for his own gain or his own vision. Um, he no, didn't drag Frodo out of the Shire to get Frodo killed. It, I, and the thing is, I don't think he wanted Frodo um, to go. To, to go at all. I, I think he felt he didn't have a choice. I think, that, I think that it was really clear to me in the story that he knew that he was not a, a suitable ring bearer, um, that he knew his own weaknesses, and that he didn't want to have the, any close con. And the thing is, he... He was he was rightfully I think protecting Middle Earth from himself when he refused to pick up that ring. Um, and I mean, it, it was really clear, like you said, that in that very in that moment in um, when they met about the Fellowship first met, is that he he had never wanted Frodo to go any further. He had just needed to get Frodo to um, to Rivendell. so that he wouldn't and be hurt. That was, Right, so they wouldn't be hurt because the ring race were already on their way. They were, they were hunting the for a baggins. The ring had the ring had woken up, and it let itself be known where it was. So the ring race were already coming. So Frodo had to be kept safe. So he had to get him out of there, and he was fairly inured. He was he he wasn't unaffected, but he was less affected than most by. Um, the influence of the ring. So, and you notice a key difference is he did not like put Frodo on a pony with Sam and say, I'll meet you in Rivendell, which is exactly what, what Dumbledore basically did to Harry 
is basically push him at danger and then meet him at the other end. Now, Gandalf couldn't watch over Frodo every step of the way to Rivendell, but he was there as much as he could be. And he also provided um, help. Right. He sent Strider. Aragorn. Right. Um, and it's um, it's just, it's it's impossible to look at the and um the actions of Gandalf and see anything um, evil. Yes, there are consequences to his actions and there are consequences to his decisions and there are consequences to to Bilbo leaving the Shire. Um, it's set forth in motion um, a great many things. Uh, which was the point? Well, he he was he was manipulative with Bilbo, especially with Bilbo. He was manipulative, and I think that that was I think because he felt such a burden about what Bilbo had gone through is why he didn't want really want Frodo involved. But aside from aside from that, even though he manipulated was was manipulative with Bilbo, ultimately Bilbo went because Bilbo wanted an adventure because he had no problem saying no. But setting that aside, Gandalf went on that journey too. He was there. He didn't come and say, I send you on this quest um, to go and kill a dragon. Good he luck was like, that. come with come, – yeah, good luck with it. He said, come with me to kill a dragon, basically. Steal from a dragon. Um, and I think I, – honestly, you know, it's specifically, I, mean, I think we can, it's, it, we can dig into – what's different between the two, and we've already done so. But I think whenever you're talking to somebody who does not want to see the difference, who doesn't see the difference between Gandalf and Dumbledore, no matter what you explain to them, it's because they don't want to see the difference. I agree. I agree. If there are people who are very, very fond of Dumbledore. They think they, they think he is the wise old man. They think he is the grandfather figure. They think he is the mentor. But, you know, if you look at the archetypes of what's out, grandfathers don't leave their grandsons on doorsteps in November. Mentors do not take their 11-year-old um, um, – I'm drawing a blank for who a mentor mentors – mentees, but that's not the word that I was searching for. I just had word retrieval issue there. And <laughs> tell them and, and let them go down into a chamber by themselves and fight a basilisk. That is just – that's not how that apprentice. shit goes. That is not, yeah, apprentice. Thank you. They don't. That's not who. They, that's not what they do. With a maybe, it, maybe when you know, if when apprentice is not even an apprentice. I mean, I think somebody needs to be like a journeyman or something. And they need to be like the next level, and a, and of age and adult before you start throwing them in harm's way with nothing but a sword and a basilisk. So, um, protege. Thank you, Barb. That's what I was going for. Um. So the, he doesn't. When you look at the when when people try to to slot him into a character archetype, um, about the only one that really cleanly fits Dumbledore is the politician. I mean, he really is manipulative to his own ends. Um, he really is, you know, 
giving you a lollipop when you're diabetic, you know, and persuading you that it's good for you. So he is that kind of character. But the wise old man thing, even, I mean, he's okay, he's an old man. He's a manipulative old man. But I don't think the wise old man thing falls apart. Um, the the grandfather falls apart. The mentor falls apart. I mean, it, it, the purpose of those kinds of archetypes do not fit him, even though he people I think people want him to perceive him in those roles. I would say his actions don't prove out those. It may have been that was the author's intent, but the, I think this is a case of like blinders, intention blinders, is that um, failing as a, as an author to see what your character's actions, what the ramifications of their actions were, because you're trying to make a plot point happen. And, you know, somebody had to um, leave Harry on that doorstep. And really, if you wanted Dumbledore to be a good guy, if you wanted him to be the mentor, the you know, father, the grandfather figure, he would have had to have not been the one who did that. He would have had to have been the one who was looking for Harry for 11 years, but he couldn't find him until the Hogwarts letters went out. I mean, that would have let him fall into the, one of those roles, the grandfather, the mentor, whatever. So, I don't know. It's, um, now conversely, so I, I've, I've, I've seen Dumbledore written really, really positively where his actions are still his actions in canon, but there's like no consequences in the fan fiction for for the way he behaves. Convert, and that, that is, I don't understand that. I don't understand how Harry gets to be an adult. I think it actually is good in canon that Dumbledore died because if he was living, at some point he and Harry would have to have a come to Jesus meeting and be like, "Why did you do this? Why did you set me up to die?" And it's a lot. Harry, I don't think he would have held on to his good feelings about Dumbledore if Dumbledore hadn't been dead, you know. Um, but um, conversely, in fan fiction, I sometimes see Gandalf demonized and with the, with the canon actions staying intact without any explanation for why those actions were so terrible other than the fact that they were manipulative. Um, But manipulated, I mean, I, I think that to a degree, like, nobody likes being manipulated. Nobody likes feeling manipulated, but we all do it. It's a very human thing to do. And I don't think manipulative tendencies make somebody a good guy or a bad guy. Um, sometimes that's how you get shit done. Is you, when you play on somebody's feelings, you try to arouse sentiment to get people to manipulate, you know, to contribute to a cause or whatever. Um, if we're just presenting the facts, you know, if you're just presenting the facts of a situation, people's interest often isn't aroused. But they use manipulative tactics to get people's interest. So um, manipulation is not so down to bad thing. Intent. Like right. if you're manipulative for your, per- for your own personal gain versus, you know, uh, save the whole planet kind of thing, you know, it, it, it makes a mm-hmm. difference. Um, but, um, but it, it really honestly does boil down to regret. And Dumbledore regretted nothing. I'm not sure. I don't know that I agree with you that he regretted nothing. I think he regretted his sister's death. He regretted nothing involved with Harry. 
Oh, okay, okay, okay. Not even we Harry's parents' death. No, I don't think he regretted. I don't think he regretted a single thing he did, because I think what happened is his moment of regret was what led to his sister's death, and I think that he did a pivot at that moment, and he set himself on a on a path, and that nothing, nothing, and no one, and no consequences were gonna were gonna turn him from that path. Um, it didn't matter if um. um it didn't matter who died. It didn't matter that Harry's parent. Harry had to grow up without his parents because of Dumbledore's manipulations. He he had uh, set a path for himself, a course in his life, in in his own mind, I think, to make up for the death of his sister. Is what he thought was atoning. I I kind of think it was what he thought was atoning for the death of his sister, but I think that it shows what a kind of a bent person he was to begin with. That this sort of um, merciless good that he had in his mind was the way was was the way to go. That any sacrifice was was okay if it achieved what his vision of good was. So that shows that and only his vision mattered, and only his vision. Right. That shows what he was like before that moment where he regretted his actions. Um. Whereas I think that I think that Gandalf could be turned, he could be swayed, he could he could have his mind changed. I don't think he ever really had. I don't think it's it's not like he ever had a plan that he was trying to make happen. He really kind of that was part of the whole being on the journey with whoever he was on the journey with. Um, whether it was whether it was the the dwarves or whether it was the fellowship, he. He was right there with them, and he had things that he had to see and sure were happening, but it wasn't like he was trying to manipulate events into occurring, other than, you know, trying to get the dwarves into Erebor. Because he saw a weakness there, and he saw a weapon there that needed to be addressed. Gandalf's ultimate mission on Arda was to stop Sauron. To end Sauron. That was his job. Mm-hmm. That was how he was supposed to protect Middle-earth. And the consequences of his actions rippled out from his decision to to pick Bilbo. Because if he'd picked any other hobbit, it would have been an entirely different story. If they'd gotten the hobbit out of the Shire, that is. Um, Yeah. But he did pick Bilbo Baggins. He didn't pick a Took. He didn't pick um, someone who might be more adventurous. He picked Bilbo. And when Bilbo picked up the One Ring, all these events, fell out in front of Gandalf like dominoes, whether he knew it or not. And Gandalf never shot away from his duty. And he never set anybody up to be sacrificed in his place. He 
he never purposely led anybody to their death. But she said it earlier, and I'll say it too. Um, you're you're not going to change your friend's mind, and there are a couple of reasons why um, she doesn't want to hear it. And more importantly, um, there are some people, if they don't see it first, they'll be damned if they'll agree with you. Well, there's that too. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like the emperor's new clothes. They're not, she's, people just refuse to acknowledge that you're right. Because it wasn't their idea. They're mentally incapable of accepting um, a change in their in their perspective. Gandalf would, I will say, would have gone all the way to Mordor with Frodo. He would have taken him the whole way. He would have. He, he would have. Dumbledore couldn't even bother to explain the truth to Harry. He he he. I mean, oh, I, he could not only not explain the truth, but Dumbledore put put dangers in front of Harry on purpose. Right on purpose. He put he put the philosopher's stone down in in the down in Hogwarts, and he put a three headed dog. He put dangers in front of Harry, and you can't just. It was just honestly. I, I, I come back to again when we can we talk about the like the macro like topic of of archetypes. What people are seeing in similarity is the archetype of the wise old man, and. But that, other than that, if they, if they, if she would not see a similarity between these two characters, if um, they didn't look alike, if Dumbledore was a 50 year old woman, be real, their actions are nothing alike other than the fact that they're both magical. So it's, it's, they're both people are seeing them as. You can actually boil it down to the basilisk and the, um, the Balrog. Um, when faced with a monster of immense proportion and danger, Gandalf put himself between that monster and Frodo. Dumbledore, on the other hand, allowed himself to be removed from the school to do whatever the hell he needed to do. And was not there in that moment when Harry needed him most. And if it had not been for the Phoenix, Harry would have died. Dumbledore allowed himself to be killed so he could die with dignity and to protect his spy. And Gandalf sacrificed himself for the Fellowship. And came back for them. And came back for them. Because I suspect he didn't have to. I mean, I don't think that's clear in canon. But, you know, he basically is well, he through some level of ascension. He didn't have to go back. He didn't have to come the first time. He was asked. No. And he didn't want he to asked. do it. He was afraid of it. But he wasn't forced. 
you can't say that Dumbledore is abusive, and I don't think you could legitimately say in any circumstance that Gandalf is. Only by somebody who would equate manipulation with abuse, and if they if they do, you need to give them lots of examples of people manipulating for good causes and ask them why they don't think that's abuse. Well, he does verbally abuse Perry, <laughs> but he is a fool of a took. <laughs> well, he did almost get them all killed. Pippin is Pippin. Yes, Pippin. Pippin. Yeah, it was Pippin. <laughs> but when you have two characters um, who who meet a, a, an, an an archetype or a trope or whatever, and they seem they seem different, but. It's like, well, this is the same archetype, whether it's the wizard or the, the the wise old man or the girl next door or whatever. It's dig deeper because most people are are not in a single box. Most people are a combination of things. Most, and they should be because if somebody was just one thing, if like if you were a character, the only characters you can afford to let be just one thing are throwaway characters that you don't need. The character who is the waitress who takes your order or, you know, the policeman who takes your police report, you can afford as, as, as a writer to let them, let it be, let them be one, one little box. But your characters that you craft that, that are important to your, your narrative, they can't afford to be in pigeonholed into a little, that that's a caricature. It's not really a character. And you can let your, you know, throw away the throwaway characters be caricatures, but you can't let your main characters be that way. So nobody is in one little box. So if you're looking for the difference between, you know, Harry Potter and Percy Jackson, you have to peel away more than, you know, the teenager, the hero. You have to peel away more than that, you know, and look at what's underneath. Now, and that those two are actually close, way close. Harry, Harry Potter and Percy Jackson are way closer to the same character type than Dumbledore and Gandalf are. Um, but you can pull any two similar-looking characters apart and look at take look look at what's similar and what's different to find out what archetypes are used to build them. And maybe the author didn't do it that way. Um, but that's sort of not the point in terms of what we're talking about for this kind of thing because nobody can know. Well, you know, J.K. Rowling's intent or Tolkien's intent. I'm having a struggle with the J initials. <laughs> um, the initial J's is just too many. Um, uh, the 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 um, nobody can know what their intent was and, and, with, and the way they crafted these characters. What what Tolkien thought made up Gandalf. We can only speculate based upon his actions. And, and when you're kind of deconstructing a character, that's what you do is you look at the way they behave and say, well, you know, in, in context of their behavior, this looks like this type of character. We can look at the sarcastic bastard type. Um, I mentioned it early on when we were talking about um, just, the, just getting started. Um, McKay, House. Sheldon, Sherlock, um, 
more BBC Sherlock than the dude on um, Elementary. Donnie Lee Miller. Um, yeah, Elementary. Yeah. yeah. He's actually not um, a snarky. He's, right. He's um, but, snarky by, by virtue of being very, very precise and very literal. Um, he actually doesn't snark all that much. He just says the truth in that very kind of dry British way, and it comes across as snarky. <laughs> Right, but if you look at the if you look at House and McKay, um, on the surface, they are both brilliant. They're both sarcastic. They're both a little foul-tempered. They're both a little mean. But if you if you dig down a little deeper, um, you see something totally different, because House is a narcissist, and McKay uses sarcasm and. Um, projects a foul temper to protect himself because he has an inferiority complex. Did I break yeah, you? I would, no, I was thinking, I was thinking of that. I, I completely agree. House always had a crueler edge to his snark than um, McKay ever did. And I agree with you. I think it is the difference of the narcissism because I don't think McKay ever really – I think sometimes he didn't see people um, unless he knew them well. Like they were just – they were more people – I think he saw people more as functions than he did as people until he got to know them. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he thought anybody was disposable. Um, I don't think that he was – because and it takes it takes a – it takes a – I think House's narcissism really – he didn't have a lot of empathy. Um, and I think, don't think McKay struggled with that. And so I think that, you know, that because of that, that House, House's snark could have a much crueler edge to it uh, than, than McKay. If McKay was cruel, yes. he was unintentionally cruel. Yeah, because he was just being honest. Whereas except House en- used cruelty to push people away. Right. Because not because he feared intimacy or feared friendship, but because he didn't. They were inferior. <laughs> right. Uh, he didn't. He pushed them away because he didn't want them there. I mean, it was like people. Right. People. People were drawn to House because he was. People sometimes brilliant. people are just drawn to certain personality types. He was brilliant. And the best at what he did, people were drawn to that and they wanted to get close to it. And he would be mean to push them away, not on purpose, because he did not want them there. I don't want you in my space. Yes, he was in a lot of pain and he was hooked on a painkiller, but neither one of those situations caused his narcissism. Um, the, the Vicodin thing, the hooked on Vicodin, um, I think only comes into play in terms of his behavior if you're wanting to separate it from any kind of narcissism. So the the addiction that only comes into play when he was trying to come off the Vicodin when he was going through withdrawal or when he was um not able to get Vicodin when he wanted it, drug seeking behavior. But in general, I mean I know a lot of people who struggle with a lot of chronic pain who are not mean. So I don't, I mean, it can certainly be a factor in meanness, but there's other things. It's not, pain doesn't make people mean. 
if he had just if his bad acts had been all if his bad behaviors had all been in times when he was going through withdrawal, nobody would have thought he was a mean dude. But you know. Now, he he might have been an asshole before his legs got fucked up, but I don't think we have any way of knowing that. Um, but I think it's likely, considering how he reacted to um, – was it his fiance who made the decision to let them do the surgery that cost him those muscles in his leg? He was so angry at her for that. The fact that he was so unforgiving about his leg getting fucked up um, from the surgery – um, that I think that does speak to assholery because when somebody does their best to try to you know save you save your life, um, he uh, I think that that speaks to yeah that he probably was already an asshole. But I mean we can't know unless there unless there are episodes that I missed <laughs> where we know what he was like. Um, well, apparently Wilson said he was always an asshole. That could be. Which, you know, then you got to wonder what's up with Wilson is why are they such good friends? Not because... Wilson has a high tolerance not, for assholes. Well, not and not because House doesn't need a friend, because House did need friends. Even assholes need friends. <laughs> but the question is, what's going on with Wilson that he wants to be treated that way for however many years? Ever. The decades. decades. Now, didn't the show end with Wilson basically dying of cancer and them like riding off into the sunset together. I didn't watch the last season when he, he things started getting weird, like really weird. I thought his behavior was spiraling so out of control that I just kind of went, I, I hope this is all like, they're going to Dallas all of this and we're all going to wake up because this is just, yeah. Wilson gets cancer and, um, House faked his death to take Wilson on a road trip. So basically, Wilson chose to spend the last moments of his life with House. That says a lot about Wilson's character. It it does, and and none of it's good. Um, But, you know, so there's the thing about when I I have never watched a lot of House because I found his character very um, abusive and I just couldn't handle it. Uh, I just didn't not handle it. I just didn't like it. It just it just didn't appeal to me. But um, there's an inherent meanness in House that's utterly missing from McKay. Yeah, and I mean McKay McKay could be mean, but usually that was he could enemy. be or it was. It was, or it was like unintentional. Um. <laughs> so apparently, the last season of um, House jumped a shark. I, I don't even know what to say about that. Remember, um, I said uh, it got, uh, so I, I stopped watching because it got really weird. Uh, this is the season before the last season. I just went, I, that, I, I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> I really do not understand where this show is going and what the fuck is going on anymore. Um, it got, it got, it got wacky.
But if you want to take it, but if you have, um, if you look at like like a macro archetype as the bastard, you've got your snarky bastards, and then you've got your grumpy bastards, right? Grumpy bastard is definitely an archetype, and you can still um, say that they are dramatically different. Um, I'm trying to think of a grumpy bastard. Well, Gibbs. Um, Gibbs, yeah. Um, Fraser's dad. I would dad. probably call for him. Yeah, Martin. Martin Crane was was a grumpy bastard. Yeah. Fornell. Yeah, I would say Fornell. Fornell's a grumpy bastard. Um. Then there's just the bastard. You mean I hope you mean literally? Like they did their parents yeah. were married? <laughs> oh, no, I okay. mean like they're just the bastard. I mean they're like Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm trying to think of somebody who was just a bastard and Oh, Simmons on SG one? Played by John Delancey. It's a real bastard. I I can think of more. Most of the people that come to mind, I think of as being bad. I go about like characters that are. I go, no, he's not a bastard. He's an asshole. So apparently, the asshole bucket is bigger than the bastard bucket. Um, because like Kevin, uh, Barbara, we I can't go, no, talk about that. Asshole. Mr. Vincent Nigel Murray is is no. That's off limit. No. It's too soon. I can't. I can't. I just can't. It's it was too soon. I can't even. Terrible assholes. Um, I can't, I can't. Um, but just outright. Uh, what's that dude that keeps arresting Tony on NCIS? Um, Ron Sachs. Yes. So he's a bastard. Yeah. He is a bastard, but he, you know, but like Kavanaugh's an Kavanaugh's an asshole. He's not a bastard. Um, right. I agree. I agree. Maybe the difference is power. Maybe maybe bastards have more power than assholes do. <laughs> that could be very well because, it. You know, because Kav- the ability to inflict more damage. <laughs> Yeah, bastards can do more damage. There you go. Kavanaugh is a twerp, um, but he, you know, like I said, most characters are not one thing. He's definitely an asshole, though. But he also wasn't wrong <laughs> about weir. And about the leadership on Atlantis. It was a fucked up mess. He was right. <laughs> yeah, he, you're right. He was right. But the person he, he the person he thought was um, fucked up in that whole situation was actually not the person. Because he, he didn't seem to have a lot of problem with, with, with Weir. He a lot of but he didn't, I don't think he was, there was, yeah, that's because he wanted Rodney's job. 
But he wasn't but. wrong about the leadership of Atlantis being fucked up. He just had a myopic focus on McKay because McKay had the job that he wanted. Oh, Edie, I'm going to have to disagree. Um, she says there's no such thing as a lovable asshole. I've got a four-legged asshole out in my backyard. He is beautiful. And he dragged me around my neighborhood today. I was trying to leash train him. He's tall asshole. I love him. You don't know what it's like to walk a dog that doesn't like a leash until you've walked a dog with a 200-pound pull weight. Mm. That dog wore my ass out. I feel like I, learned, I, I, I burned a lot more calories than my app said I did. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> it seemed like it might have been 250 calories instead of 154. Okay, my fitness pal. Okay, I don't think you 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 added the Siberian husky factor <laughs> into this arrangement. <laughs> resistance training. I definitely should have put it down as resistance training because it was ridiculous. He's a rescue, and um, he, I uh, I spent a lot of time doing trust exercises, and so um. I've been building him, and and by the time I got him to the point where he would respond to me and look to me and trust me, it was too cold for me to do the walking outside. So I've been letting him wear the harness around the house and, you know, trying to get him used to it. Um, And uh, it just, um, Barbara's just being mean to me in the chat room. I don't know what I did to her, but that just, just meanness. Meanness. But I definitely should have put that down as resistance training because that dog wore me out. He also wore himself out, which I'm sure my neighbor appreciates. He's not singing the song of his people tonight. No joke. I had a complete brain reboot. I don't even know why. You might as well just have like a little screen that appeared in my brain that says up, updates for being applied, rebooting, or something <laughs> like that. I have no idea what happened. How do I pronounce it or how is it supposed to be pronounced? Because there's a difference between the two. Um, always, practically always. Um, I pronounce it Ada, which is probably wrong, but that's just how I do it. That's how I pronounce it, too. So there you go, Ada. Edie asked a question about small magic in the chat room about how I pronounce um, Ada, A-D-A, 
um, in um, Small Magic that that's what Harry calls Bilbo. Um, Bilbo raised Harry in that in that fix. So um, yeah, that's um, it's father in one of the um, Elvish languages. Um, I have to look it up to tell you which language I used. I looked at various languages and various versions of of father, and I like that one the best. I thought it was close to to daddy, which I thought it would was make it easier for Harry it's as a baby. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Sundaran. Um, but I think that one because was... of the similarity. Yeah. So uh, I don't see any kind of official pronunciation. Um... I don't see any pronunciation in the Sundaran dictionary. It's but crazy that there's dictionaries. Well, here we go. It's crazy that there's you know, dictionaries of made up languages and I just think it's like I just love the internet. I love the internet. Why would anybody want... Never mind. I'm not going to ask dumb questions. <sighs> there are no dumb questions. No, no, no. I just... I, um, there are um, dumb people, though. <laughs> uh, no, I was just... I was looking at the dictionary, and they have a, a Sundaran to English dictionary, and I was like, Hmm. <laughs> just, okay, I get I get the English to Sundaran, but I don't know that I understand it the other way. <laughs> but you know, whatever. Whatever shakes people's tree. Oh, does she pronounce it? Does she say it in that? I guess she does. I have to turn my sound back on. Well, I'm not watching all that. <laughs> Just to get one word, that's just too much. That's that's five minutes. I'll watch it later. Barbara says she thinks it's Ada. Ada. Well, I've been saying it Ada in my head for months, so it's it's not gonna change. <laughs> that's just how my brain works. Um. You know, speaking of that scene in Lord of the Rings where um, she finds out that her father has misled her um, and that she has the potential to have a child with with Aragorn, I was furious. If she goes to the Undying Lands, she'll never have that. And I was like, did you honestly just lie to your own kid and deny her something that she obviously wants beyond anything else? Are you fucking serious? Is is that what you did? Double bird. It's way too much to watch on the podcast. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> but yeah, I was I was not I was really unhappy with that revelation. I was like, oh, I've always found it very, um, very. Um,
that he would rather um, sacrifice her love for this man and that potential child um, to have her with him in the Undying Lands. I just... <laughs> it's really a unforgivable thing to me. I I don't I. I find it very difficult to forgive. It is difficult when um, when some when it involves when lying is involved when when you even if you're trying to do something for somebody's own good it's very difficult to justify that that you misled them because you knew that if they knew the truth and that's that's where it falls apart you know if they know the truth they might not make the decision you want them to make which means that it sort of the whole motivated by love thing starts to sound very selfish. She says, Ada, Ada. He does make up, he does try to make it up for later, but there's still an inherent ugliness to denying his, uh, his, his, his daughter a chance to attempt to deny his daughter a chance to have a child. Um, to manipulate her that way. Yeah, he should have he should have let her make her own choice. He should have given her the information. Um, that's why I, I think you find that that um, that thematically that comes up a lot in in books is people giving somebody incomplete information to make a choice um, so that so that maybe they'll alter their the outcome of the choice and then and then the person gets I mean it's practically a trope and then the person gets angry later because they didn't have all the facts and that's just not how you do that you you give somebody. Um, you give somebody all the information, let them make the choice. I mean, that's what that's. Otherwise, it's not an informed choice. Well, it becomes a matter of consent. If you consent right. to do something without all the information, then you're not consenting. Well, you can't. You can't. It, it, the 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 choice becomes an illusion, right? And it, you know, illusion of choice is no kind of choice. I keep feeling like my microphone is touching my shirt, but it's actually my wire. I somehow I'm all twisted up here. It's my cord. Did you twist it around behind your headphone? No, no. It, um, but I made the dumb, this dumb decision to put my phone on the opposite side of my body from where I normally have it. <laughs> so, so instead of my phone being now my, the the wires in front of me, and so it's rubbing on my shirt, which because of this closed this monaural headset, a binaural headset, um, I really hear the rubbing of the cord. And so I keep thinking it's my microphone touching my shirt, but it's not. 
I um, okay. talk about the selfless hero. It is a very common um, character, and we see it repeatedly uh, to the point where you're thinking to myself, you know what, dude? You don't got to die for it. How about you live for it? That'd be great. Could you live for it? <laughs> that'd be yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be new. That that would be a new experience for me. I'd really appreciate that. Um, it you go and do a movie sometime and you're thinking, "Yep, that dude's gonna die. That dude's gonna die." <laughs> if you didn't see that sacrifice coming at the end of Pacific Rim, you weren't paying attention. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no kidding. The first one, I have not seen the second one. Um, oh, speaking of the second one, I'll have to. Um, I got to. I got to read something that you guys. You guys should find this amusing. It's something that Cassandra uh, and I are both really good, big fans of Pacific Rim. Um, we, we make Pacific Rim references all the time when we talk, and um, so she saw Pacific Rim too, and. Um, and she was telling me about it, and I said something like, I said, I, I hadn't been planning to go see it in the theaters because I didn't really want to be disappointed. And I said, um, so I asked her, I said, so was it Power Rangers meets Transformers? Because that's what the previews made me think, with a dash of Godzilla, of course. And um, she says, maybe it was a little bit more, <laughs> maybe a little bit more like the Breakfast Club, Fuck Saved by a Bell, and has a one-night stand with any of the Gundam animes. Which sounds like hot garbage, but it was surprisingly entertaining. <laughs> so now I want to see it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, that kid. That kid. I know. She's Sina's so not a kid, actually. Sina's a grown woman. She's okay? not. But, but she's she's significantly younger than me. Um, me so too. she's a kid. Yep. Yep. But um, she's hilarious. That's just really funny. Um, if that description, if that description, folks, does not make you want to go right out and see Pacific Rim too, and I'll say it again in case anybody missed it, maybe it's a little bit more like the Breakfast Club fucked Saved by a Saved by the Bell, and then had a one night stand with any of the Gundam animes. If that didn't make you want to run right out and see that movie. <laughs> You're dead on the inside. You are. And then, it, and then she follows it up with it sounds like, which sounds like hot garbage, but was surprisingly entertaining. She's right, though. It does sound like hot garbage, so it would have to be really yeah. entertaining. Although, you know, I really enjoy big CGI, uh, um, big CGI festivals with no plot. So. I, like I, it. I usually, I usually do, but I I kind of wanted to gouge my eyes out over watching Power Rangers. <laughs> I don't know that there was a there was there was there was actually quite a bit of CGI in that, but I just I I like regretted all my life choices and I hated myself a little bit for seeing that movie. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a new Power Rangers movie out. When, when did that happen? That was a year a year ago, year and a half ago, maybe. Wow, you need to you, <sighs> you know I don't mean to quote. Disney, but you need to let it go. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I, well, I just say that I usually, I, I, when I think of the last really big CGI thing that I saw that I regretted, that's what comes to mind. It was the Power Rangers. Um, well, a selfless hero can be a martyr, but I agree they're not, not the same. Um, fundamentally, they're not really the same archetype. Um, a martyr typically has a different purpose, but a selfless a hero can become a selfless hero by martyring themselves and become a martyr. But the martyr as an archetype itself is something completely, really is something completely different. But it's interesting. You, you know, see a about, really good example of both of those, the selfless hero and the um, the martyr in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Yeah, I agree. As 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 uh as different characters. Yes, and um it's never more clear until and, until that moment. And when you realize that Yondu is going to do what he's what what he's going to do and the way he tells Peter, you know, he might have been your father, but he wasn't your daddy. And that's when I think it's like Peter doesn't have time to process it. And then the most terrible thing that's going to happen to him between them is happening. He got that validation from Yondo that Yondo considered him a son. And then he did what he did, and you're like, "Fuck you, <laughs> fuck all of this, fuck everybody." <laughs> it was, ah. it was great though. It was great. It was it was a really great moment in in the movie, and really surprisingly moving because you know Guardians of the Galaxy is, is a lot of humor, um, and a, a lot of campy, cheesy, awesome action, and then they have this moment where you're like. Holy shit! Why did you? Why didn't you just punch me in the face? That would have hurt less. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Because I can't Greek. even hear people say no, no, without crying. I'm like, oh, oh, stop, stop, just stop. Yeah, Groot was Groot was like just I don't know something about Groot's death. Groot was, um, and he definitely, definitely. I, I wouldn't really call Groot the selfless hero. It was definitely more of a martyr kind of thing. He martyred himself for, but Groot's death was such a. I don't know. I don't know why I'm having a hard time articulating what's really struck me about that because there's something so, so. You know what struck me about it, and I'll talk while you're trying to figure out what yours is. Is Go that for it. it was. It was a sacrifice, number one, but it was the way he did it that he kind of just it wrapped them all up in, it was in so an embrace, and, that, and he that embraced was it. It was so them. loving. It was very intimate. It was like I'm – it was like he took a bullet, literally, for them, and knowing that it was going to shatter him, and and it was just like – he just embraced them, and it was very intimate and 
Yeah, it's I, like think, that I think moment. that was. I think it was so. It was something so loving about the way that he did that, and um, and then he didn't. He didn't hesitate. There was like no, no, no thought. He didn't seem to put any thought into it. He just was like, "This is where it's going to be." And um, and that moment, yeah, it was an I mean, act of was, love. Yeah, yeah, it was love. It was. It was. It was love. And then that moment when when rocket when rocket is is standing there and all those twigs are kind of lying around that was just it was so heartbreaking. Why do they have a heartbreaking death at the end of both movies? Is that going to be like their their signature? They need to work on their signature. I agree. Besides eighties mixtapes habit, that's not a good habit for them to make. It's it's not a good habit. I'm I'm, I'm not on board with this habit. Um, but uh, it's beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, but I'll tell you something. When my husband and I watched it, he got really tickled at the stick in the plant, <laughs> at the stick in the planter. <laughs> when, 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 they're rock, when, they're, when they're walking out and Rocket's holding the pot with a stick <laughs> in it, <laughs> my husband got so tickled. Mm. <sighs> it was well, really funny. You didn't know you didn't know that it was going to work. I mean, I felt like when I saw that in the theater, I felt it was kind of like Rocket was just being that was really wishful thinking. So it was really cool when you get to the end and Baby Groot's dancing and it's like, oh, it worked. Baby I was dancing. like, oh, okay. well, that was. Was I surprised by how many people signed up for April Rough Trade? Um, no. I was not. I was. Um, it's not our biggest, biggest month, but it runs um, second by, like, three entries. Um, I have to check for sure. Um, we had 81 sign-ups, and um, give me a minute, and I'll tell you. The, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the numbers. There are a lot of project files. Um, we had 81 sign-ups, and we have 78 projects. So... We only lost three um, for non-participation. But the reason I'm not surprised is that um, side of the Little Black Dress in July 2015, which had 81, our biggest challenge ever was in April 2016 – and it was a 40k challenge, and it was the the theme was second chances, and a lot, a majority of the stories on that were uh, Harry Potter and time travel, um, and uh, it, it's just that um, Harry Potter is a big fandom, and I fully expected between 80 and 100. You're welcome, Harry Potter fandom. You don't deserve it. Don't be an <laughs> asshole for this challenge. I, I don't know. I am I surprised at how I, many project files that actually got published, though. Because signups are always I, a lot. You know, I get ten, fifteen people who back out, but we only had three back out, and that was really surprising. I guess it's surprising because it was a single fandom challenge. As I thought that it would cut like our numbers in half over what we've seen in other challenges. I don't know why I thought Maybe that, if I'd but I did. Smaller fandom. If if, if I'd have picked a smaller fandom, that that might have happened. I'm trying to think of a <clears> fandom <throat> that I would write in that I would pick where that would have been an issue. 
Well, I do think we have more Harry Potter writers in general that participate in Rough Trade than, say, any other fandom. Um, I'd agree. I'd agree. Maybe, you know, maybe all of the other fandoms combined. There are lots of themes in Harry Potter that are um, fascinating to explore, and it's a huge fandom, and there's lots of pairings, and um, it's just I I wasn't surprised at all. But I was surprised by how many people actually got to the Project Soft stage because, like I said, we usually have 5, 10 who, who don't make it, who, who, who back out for one reason or another. And we only had three this time, so that was pretty amazing. Stunning, stunning, yeah. And a lot of work. That's okay, though. Because some of you bitches are never going to figure out tables. I love you. I love all you guys. But come on. HTML tables are, are not rocket science. <laughs> Just to put that out there for you. I would agree if you've done anything on the net ever. But there are a lot of people who have done nothing on the net ever. <laughs> Which is surprising to me in this day and age, but it's true. If you've had any exposure to to the internet over the last, you know, 20 years, you went across an HTML table. Uh, But there are more and more people who have, you know, surprisingly done nothing on the internet besides, you know, be on a web, like go to a web page and look at the information. Um, So I think it's because a lot of people had been – like intimidated by web publishing back in the day when it was when you had to write your own HTML or get somebody to write it for you or whatever. Um, and now things like, you know, um, you have all these editors and blogs and stuff in the last, you know, five, five, ten years that do all that stuff for you. Um, and people are, you know, pushing, are learning and expo- getting exposed to things. You're like, I have never posted anything on the Internet in my life. Okay. Well, Welcome. Um, practice. <laughs> you don't have to use a the table. table is, the table is absolutely Optimal. not required. But for those of you who use the table, I, I wish you would use it better than you do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you can't center shit in the middle of the table. You just... Anyways, I'm just I'm just bitching. Ignore me. I have OCD. Um, and for those of you who've who've um, been a part of Rough Trade, know that I'm I'm prone to correcting your mistakes as I see them, um, without your permission. And I can't help myself. I have a, a if you mistake. It depends on the mistake. She's not she, your project. She's not correct. She's not she's not correcting your post. That's not what she means. No, I'm not correcting your actual shit, but I will correct your actual shit. <laughs> but like if you if misspell you, something, if, I'm going to fix you, it. I'm sorry. A, I'm just going to fix you, it. <laughs> if you have a typo in your title, it is getting fixed by one of us. I promise you that. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many C-H-A-T-P-E-R's I've corrected over the years. How many chat per If you <laughs> spell the number out, on all of your part, one through six, and then on number seven, you use the actual number seven. That's getting changed. That's gonna. <laughs> that's gonna get changed. I can't. I can't deal with it. I, I can't. 
it's just it's beyond like, it's my ability. <laughs> it's a good thing that it's really complicated to edit the images and stuff because, like, I go to cast tables where all of the images. This is my OCD acting out where people's images are all different sizes and shapes, and I God, I, I give full. I give full body twitches because I have such a temptation to go in and crop all those images to the same size and make them all look the same. Oh, I just have to not look. I just have to not look. Yeah, Lady Holder will let me get away with it. I could send her a you note. Know, honestly, I read your page. She wouldn't care. If your images were not the same size and you need help with that, you can email them to me and I would be happy to crop that shit for you because it drives me nuts too. And, you know, I'm, even if there are 40 of them, it still drives me nuts. Or Georgia it, it just, it, but I deal with it. Um, and I'm not nearly as OCD about rough trade as I am wild hair because um, rough trade's content is transitory. Um, it comes and goes. With the wind by the quarter, <laughs> and it's perfectly fine. But um, yeah, if you, yeah, you just you just have to match your shit. That, I, I'm not asking for much. Just make it the same. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And sometimes I we 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 have this. Sometimes we laugh over. Um, we will correct. Like sometimes there's a typo in a. Um, in comments, it's like I can't approve that. Sometimes I just have to kind of like it's like an exposure <laughs> therapy. It's like I let the I, I will approve a comment with a major typo in it, but sometimes I can't. I just like I can't I can't I can't put that through. I gotta fix that. <laughs> That's it. It's only like misspellings. I'm, I'm not. I don't we, don't. we don't change people's words. It's just like you know, if it's spelled, you know, R I T, you know, R I H T instead of W R I T E. I I have to fix that. Now, I do edit comments, and I will edit your spelling, and if you have something in your comment that I don't like and wouldn't want to see on my story, I will delete it right off your comment, and I don't care if you like it or not. Now, I don't add to anybody's content uh, as far as comments go or or change the meaning, but if you said something fucked up in your comment, um, it's either going to get deleted or edited. Yeah. And sometimes, and sometimes that is that's the choice, right? That we you agree with. Like somebody's get somebody's got a really nice comment, but then there's something really intrusive in there, and it's like, well, the author deserves to hear this really nice comment. We're going to delete out the, you know, I need more of this right now. That's at the end of it because title you know, aggressive, passive aggressive. We don't need the, you put down here at the end because <laughs> you couldn't so help if, yourself. If, if it, if a, if a comment is just all fucked up, it gets deleted. But if there's something really nice for the author there, you know, we'll we'll edit it and take out the part that's obnoxious. <laughs> the anti-obnoxious league. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, honestly, um, from where we started to today. Um, we don't have nearly the problems that we had before um, as far as commenters. I think um, the people who participate in Rough Trade and the readers on Rough Trade are are very um, um, well aware of, of how they're supposed to behave. Um, and so we don't get a lot of problems. You know, sometimes it, it, I will, 
we don't get trolls or aggressive, nasty comments. We get, oh, I really wish this would happen. Blah, 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 blah. blah. Ten paragraphs later. But what you've got here is great. The one thing I would say to uh, if for any of the authors who are listening to this podcast coming into Rough Trade, be careful what you put in your author notes. Um, you don't need to explain why you've done the things you've done unless you're saying something like, um, um, unless you're saying something like, you know, this episode or this event didn't happen because of this reason. Unless you're explaining like that, like you're explaining. Um, like a legitimate author, like a legitimate story thing, but you don't need to excuse or explain or, or or prevaricate about your story in any way, because sometimes people will say something like, you know, I, I don't know if this makes any sense uh, as an author note, and and then what what we get is we get a bunch of comments of like, oh yeah, this was comprehensible, or yeah, this makes sense. I think somebody said, I hope that this was comprehensible, and then I get up in the morning and there's like eight or nine comments. I had no problem understanding this was comprehensible. Well, normally I wouldn't approve comments of like this was comprehensible because I was like, what? So then I have to go open the post and go, all right, is there some context oh. for? this is comprehensible and then I see an author note was like I hope this was comprehensible I'm like okay they're responding to the author note so it'd be great if you wouldn't say things like that because you don't you don't if it's not comprehensible a if they say it's not we're not going to approve it so you're never going to know (laughs) we're only going to approve it if they give you the positive that positive validation and Honestly, it's it's kind of nullified by the fact that you are going to see the negative, and you don't owe anybody any explanation. So just do you, and don't feel like you have to explain. And also, there is this segment of, of Rough Trade readers who are super supportive bitches. And they would be like, yeah, baby, yeah, it's super comprehensible. <laughs> yeah, it's super <laughs> comprehensible. And I would see that comment and go, What? What the fuck is going to be saying that's super comprehensible? And then I go and open the post, and there's always at least, I would say at least a dozen um, posts that this happens with every challenge where we have to go and look at the post to see why the fuck people are saying these things. And usually if something is just really out of left field, it's because of an author note. And people are responding to the author note, not the story. Um, so just... You know, it's not it's not like it's a horribly big deal, but it does save a lot of I would say a lot of moderator head tilting. Um, if if you just and it's it's also because you don't owe anybody that explanation. You really don't. Just unless you're explaining um, like a plot point, like it's something that's not in your story, or you're setting background, or you know, adding a warning or whatever. You don't need to explain your process. You don't need to explain or you know, say things like, I hope this is comprehensible, or for God's sakes, do not say things like, I hope this doesn't suck. Because if I woke up and saw a bunch it of comments suck. that said, that says, this doesn't suck, I would be like, what is the matter with our commenters today? <laughs> and there's like 20 of them, because they, like I said, they are super supportive bitches. They're going to get on board and tell you just what you want to hear. We got to wait through that shit. Got to figure out why everybody's telling you you don't suck. <laughs> I totally suck. And then I, I hope this doesn't suck, folks. And then there's all these you don't suck comments. And we're going, are, okay, what's going on? 
And then we send each other a little note in the background. Okay, if anybody gets a bunch of comments about not sucking on this author, it's because of an author note. So just go ahead and approve that you don't suck comments. <laughs> <laughs> They're just helping her out. They're just validating. Mm. But yeah, it's uh, that's actually pretty funny. But there are 78 projects this time around. So um, I anticipate... I don't know, between 15 and 30,000 comments. Yeah. Well, I mean, if somebody has something to say, if you if you found something you loved in a story, um, say so, comment. I have no problem com- approving comments. It's, 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 it's a joyous burden, folks. Just, just say, say what you got to say. Don't feel like you need to censor yourself in, in that regard, in terms of not commenting. I mean, I wouldn't want people to not commenting because they felt like it was making for moderator yeah, burden. But you, you comment whenever you, you want should comment. To. But there are 78 projects, and each author can post once a day. Um, if they all post once a day, and even if they – there are 13,000 – hold on. I'm about to tell a lie because I don't even know. I haven't looked recently. There'd be 2,300. If every, if every single participant posted every day of the challenge, there would be like 2,300 posts. So um, that's not going to happen. And there are going to be some people who currently 12,000 members to Rough Trade. And if only 10% of them comment, it's going to equal between 15 and 30,000 comments easily. I think that in November, we had like 11,000 comments. It was a ridiculous number. I was really surprised. I was like, what? I don't even remember reading 100, <laughs> but I'm sure I did read a lot of them. <laughs> well, we only remember the ones that we actually have to read. <laughs> right. This was great. Like, pause. and You didn't want to know, you didn't want how, to know many... how many members there are. Well, you know, you don't have to be a member to read on Rough Trade, so um, that number of members is not – what's that word? Indi- in... Indicative? Indicative of how many readers will be there. But if you um, if you are posting on Rough Trade this time, I did um, – Set up a plugin so you can see how many views your um, post get. It, it's um, public in the front, so you'll know how many views your posts are getting. Because a lot of times, like yeah, I said, it, there, are, there are no comments, and you need to know that you're being read. So, you know, it, it, um, it, it's an encouragement factor. Well, the the um, also it's something to think about is if you're worried about, if you're if you're intimidated by the number of people who who read on Rough Trade, remember that there's a lot of people who only read in one or two fandoms. Not every not every member of Rough Trade, not every non-member of Rough Trade who reads reads Harry Potter. So, you know, the people who are just there for the Stargate, who are just there for the the NCIS or whatever. Um, who are members, you know, because there are a lot of people who signed up to read one story on Rough Trade at one point. Because uh, at one point right. we were locked. We, at one point we were locked to members only for reading. So um, there are people who signed up to read one story. So don't 
don't feel like that, you know, you've got necessarily, you may have a potential audience of 20,000 people, but it, it, I would say that the people reading in Harry Potter is going to be a much, reading in this challenge are going to be a much smaller number. And then you cut that down by pairing. There are people who, who only read one pairing or who only read a few pairings or who only read Jen. So just take a deep breath and don't worry about it. I promise you that nobody is going to give you shit. Um, and uh, at least not through the site, not through the site. Um, if anybody gives you shit off site, as long as your work isn't, the story isn't posted elsewhere. Um, let me know. Let Kira know. She will, she will, she will, you know, don her armor and have a, this is Sparta moment with somebody. I had one last summer. Um, I ain't afraid to do it again. <laughs> Bonnie. Nani. Nani. Okay, Nani it is. So I, can, I, was like, I can't remember Bonnie, but Nani I can remember. Yeah, I can I can live with that. I can live with I can that. do with Nani. Are you... I, you know, I don't, I don't try to pick fights, um, but... Um, I have a real problem with with bullies and especially bullies in fandom when you know readers readers I find it galling that they would complain about getting shit for free. <laughs> I just I do. I want to kick them in the face because it <sighs> Because there are some bitches in fandom that would that would complain about a solid gold dick. There, I've earned my R rating for the evening. I don't think I've earned it yet. I might have. Just in case. I would probably complain about a solid gold dick. That doesn't sound very comfortable. <laughs> you could sell I like it. Bit, I, like a, I like a little bit more give in my dick. <laughs> well, I do too. I'm going to use it for that. For a solid gold dick, you can sell for a whole lot of money. Well, that's true. You could. It depends upon whether it was given to me or not. It would have to be my solid gold dick for it to be something I wouldn't <laughs> complain about. This is one of those moments when her being so literal is more hilarious than annoying. I would not complain about a solid gold dick because I could break that shit down and it would actually be kind of fun to melt a gold dick down. I, I, I do not regret that. saying do that? that at all. Can we do that? I, 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 I would, would, we need that. that would be I want, I want that in a story. That would be I do. I want, story. I want a yeah. solid gold dick melting. Yeah. <sighs> So any other questions about Rough Trade? I think we exhausted the the Dumbledore versus Gandalf thing and Rough Trade is coming up in a day. Like by the time this podcast ends, you'll have like twenty four hours before Rough Trade starts. So um Let's talk about the I audience actually, a little bit. And, just, and, and being intimidated by it. I um 
occasionally look at my statistics and think to myself, Jesus fucking Christ, what is this? Where are all these people coming from? Oh, look, there's somebody in Australia. Hey, Chris. Maybe it's not Chris. I don't know. Um, but, you know, it's, we have a lot of people in Australia. Um, I try not to let my personal numbers influence me um, or um, intimidate me or um, because they are ridiculous. And uh, it's my statistics from my personal site is mouth it's it's not what i would i didn't anticipate that when i when i made my own site i just wanted a little corner for myself on the internet and um because i couldn't deal with anybody's rules and um and i didn't you know i I wanted control because you know obviously i have that problem um and when my numbers started to grow, I was like, where are all these assholes coming from? Because I was barely um, posting anywhere but my own site. Just look at a little live journal here and there. And now I don't do any of that. I mean, I post on my social media and I post on Tumblr and that's it. And I don't um, advertise anywhere on any of the fandom things. And um it's really it's really weird how my audience grows and without my permission. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, but I don't sound really bizarre, but I don't often equate people to the numbers. Is that weird? I mean, I see the number, I'm like, oh, great, that's a huge-ass number. There's no single way that 19,000 different people visited my website last week. That just seems impossible. Azure, how many times did you refresh my site? (laughs) Because it just seems... Seriously? That <laughs> just it doesn't seem real, right? So I don't really see my audience as um I don't know. I don't let it uh I don't let it impact me or um <clears throat> or uh a cult of personality. Um I don't let it intimidate me but that's not something that you can just say don't let it intimidate you um don't let it bother you um because that's a personal thing that you have to just work through and figure out how to make it work for yourself um it's easy to say just ignore it just ignore how many views you're getting just ignore how many people are members to the site you know just just ignore it but it's not always possible to ignore it. And if you can't ignore it, then take comfort in the fact that none of these assholes that are coming to the site, and I mean assholes in a very affectionate way, um, have the ability through the site to say anything to you without my permission in the mod team. So 
um, it's a safe zone, and they don't get to tell you or show you or talk to you. Um, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Um, yeah. Ignore them because um, they can't hurt you. And we talk about in fandom, you know, people, you know, trolls and people leaving nasty comments. And I think a lot of times the element of hurt is removed from that conversation. Um, Because people don't want to acknowledge that that kind of behavior from a stranger on the Internet can hurt them. But it can. It can be it can be a very painful experience, especially as a writer, because writing is very intimate and um when you when you when you put yourself out there and especially especially in a challenge like rough trade where you're where you're sharing your rough work it's a very vulnerable position to be in and um i'm very i'm very much aware of that particular vulnerability and um i'm not going to let you bite pokey in the ass at least not through rough trade i can't control it if they send you an email if you're out there in a public way and they send you an email or they contact you on Twitter or Facebook, but if they do, like Julie said, and they're not, and you haven't posted your story anywhere else, but rough trade, if I can figure out who they are, I will ban their fucking IP address from rough trade. So they can't read anymore. Ban the entire country of Germany just to ban one person. Because he kept switching his IP. I fixed his ass. I looked up all the IP address ranges in Germany and put every single one of them in my site. So he could not look at my website in any location in Germany. But then I had this one German lady um, contact me really upset that she couldn't read my site. And so... um, I had to put her IP address in the whitelist so she could read. <laughs> and then after about six months, I turned it off. <clears throat> I'm not afraid to ban a whole country. I'm, I'm not. I will do that shit to get one person. I'm not quite that dedicated with my spite. I just ban the person, the the one the one person. Although I haven't had anybody try that hard to keep getting through. Um, I'm ninety five percent spite. Uh, <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> and fourth generation don't give a fuck. <laughs> On top of it. <laughs> I'll let you know, Sarah. <laughs> it was just super annoying and um but I got over it. I wonder if you know who well, you do. Now. Well the thing is you do. I mean People have told me they say things like it's a tougher skin. I don't think any writer really develops that tough of a skin, not unless they're just in it for the money. Um, 
And then maybe they don't care and they don't care what people say about their work because people are buying it. So, and they're just there. I'm just, they're just there for a paycheck. I don't know, but I think most writers, no writer ever really develops a, a tough skin. Um, maybe, maybe, you know, some voices get kind of lost in the noise, um, especially if there's, a, if there's a lot of repetitive comments of a certain nature. Um, but fundamentally, sometimes people really can, no matter, no matter how used to it you are, people can hit you where you live. And it is not about, you know, developing a tough skin, but it is, it is about figuring out how, if you're going to do it, you got to figure out how to let go of it. And the thing is, is that doesn't always happen, no matter how much experience you have with getting feedback, that doesn't always happen quickly. Because there are days and there are some comments that I can just kind of roll my eyes and go on. Um, and then there are some comments that just, they hit me just the wrong way, or maybe they just hit me on the wrong day. And, you know, it can throw me off, off my game mentally, creatively, uh, for a few days or a week. And sometimes I'm angry about something for a month. And, um, you know, maybe I would play IP, IP address whack-a-mole um, because I'm that pissed <laughs> off. But you do eventually get over it. I mean, that, that is the thing is you've got to see everybody has to learn how to let it go. So, yeah, so actually I did, I did say something wrong earlier. I said that um, rough trade was in central time zone. It's actually on eastern time zone. So rough trade is about 23 hours from starting, not 24. I'm sort of freaking myself out actually with that. Because I, I, I knew it was coming up. I knew it was coming up. I don't think I had gelled in my head that I had a day yet, a day left. <clears throat> yeah, I, I actually do don't. Myself because I've been avoiding writing my story by writing a Teen Wolf story that I barely plotted. And it's just a hot mess. I don't even know what to do with it. It's it's a, it's not a hot mess. It's, it's shenanigans. It's, it's definitely shenanigans and tomfoolery, though. It's and maybe a, a collection of sarcastic scenes put together. There you go. But I don't regret anything. Oh, no regrets. Of course not. There, but we have no regrets. None. Not a... I don't even want to know what you guys are going to do with the drop bears. Um, I heard they're they're pretty mean. That's koalas, right? Drop bears. Because they dropped down out of the tree on you? Is that real? Or is that just an urban legend? Because <laughs> you never can't tell with Australia. <laughs> it's a, it says it's a hoax in contemporary Australian folklore featuring a predatory carnivorous version of the koala. I am trying to visualize the predatory carnivorous version of the koala. Oh, I mean, I think I'd rather have one drop on me than pee on me. (laughs) Don't you guys have enough that's dangerous that you don't need to be inventing aggressive koalas? (laughs) I mean, they. Why you gotta make something cute? Well. Seem like a monster. You got enough monsters down there. You don't need to add to it. 
just saying. <laughs> oh, yeah, there is a link. Yeah, it's definitely a hoax. Okay. That is... I don't even know how you have tourists, frankly. <laughs> it's just a big death trap down there. It really is. It really is. Um, and considering... Um, um, I have um, I've been bitten by a brown recluse and a black widow. Um, got very sick both times, and so my family has forbidden me from going to Australia because they're absolutely convinced I'll get bitten by a funnel web and die down there. <laughs> that would be like the trifecta. <laughs> That's all you're missing. Right. They're like, no, no, you cannot go to Australia at the rate that you attract spiders. You're going to go down there and die. <laughs> this is why I don't get in the ocean. Because if if ever a woman would be shark bait, it would be me. If I get in the ocean, I'm going to get bit by a shark. I just, I know it. Yeah, yeah. If I could see a shark saying that it needed a PCU. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I was telling the bitches earlier when I was younger, um, we went up um, driving in this mountain, un- not knowing that it was um, tarantula mating season. Um, they were everywhere. They dropped. They dropped down all over our car, and I was like, "Oh, we're getting the." F-. Of course, my family. My family blamed me. <laughs> I was like, this is your fault. <laughs> what? Nobody who was afraid of spiders wants to hang out with me. It sounds pretty dangerous, actually. I probably need to put an arachnophobia warning on this podcast now. <laughs> um, <laughs> for the last, just the, the last, last four minutes, minutes would be very difficult for you. It could be triggery. You might not want to skip the last four minutes of, of the podcast. Um, but no, you know, I hope we answered your question. And um, but um, um. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't waste any more time on that friend um because um some people just can't be taught. So I think um, if we didn't answer your question about the difference between them, you let us know because we'll always want to give it another go. <laughs> <laughs> We're down to 60 seconds and um I hope you guys have had a great week and you'll have a good weekend and don't do anything I wouldn't do and don't get caught which basically means don't swim in the ocean. She's just told you what she wouldn't do. <laughs> right. That's about my limit. Say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone.